All right. Hey, everybody. This is Mr. Todd. This is um, Stories and Solutions. I'm here uh, with actually two guests, Super Mellow Man. And, uh, and I have a, a new guest here, and it's Talalak. Uh, he's out in, uh, what do you say, Missouri? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we, are, we have Missouri, we have Hawaii, and I'm in California. So this actually shows um, how people that that are across the world that can get together to have discussions about things. And uh, this is a good thing. So I appreciate you coming on the show. The problem is, like, do you trust your neighbor at that point? Like, are you willing to um, have faith in humanity in general enough to leave them free to make decisions like that? I mean, it, it kind of goes back to what T was saying about Singapore and how they say that we value our civil liberties um, too much. And I, I think that that part of that comes from this rationalist idea that not everybody is worthy of, or I guess, capable of being trusted um, in that way. We, if we, if we completely gave everyone absolute freedom, um, of course, overregulation is a problem clearly, but we have to find some line and that's, that's kind of the art of government. Go ahead, T. The, um, Yes, but I also think that the uh, our society has taken individualism to a stupid extreme. In that, like, first, like, if you're selling food to your neighbor, if you make your neighbor sick, that neighbor's gonna hate you. Come back. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're your neighbor, son. You can't you you can't shit plan. where you eat. See, that's what I was so, thinking. Like, in that way, and like, there's a time and place for government. Like, like governments are great for dealing with you know, like multinational corporations and warfare and all that other kind of stuff. Government doesn't have a place in a community garden. That's like, right. Like, like, cause like, like the keyword here is community. That's what makes societies function. And like, I think New York is a great example of where it's like, I, oh, I was actually born in New York. I lived there for like eight years. I oh. don't like it there at all. I hate it. I don't ever want to return. I only go back to my family because you live in a city of 8 million people. I've never felt more alone in my entire life than being in New York City. Yeah. It is the most isolating experience because everything, because because there's no communal anything. The only thing that's communal is the subway, and it's disgusting. And like, well, yeah, the subway's gross. But yeah, and like, I when I lived in Germany, bro, like, I lived there for two years, so I rode the trains everywhere. The train costs like five euro ride, and it's clean and it's nice and it works. And that was when it really hit me, like, bro, this is this can work. You could have public transportation that's effective, timely, and clean, and like you want to be there, and it doesn't feel like shit. And then the subway's like just repulsive, and like, oh yeah, but it comes back to like population density. Hmm? So population density, like, what, what do you think was different between? Is it cultural or is it just the sheer amount of numbers that are packed together? I don't think it's a numbers game because you got big cities in Europe, big cities, like and they they function just fine i think it's more of a funding issue like i remember i was in a, on the subway and i saw someone had car with their name into and they signed it it was from the 80s bro that seat has been sitting there for 40 years no one's ever good. even buffed out that scratch like it's i think it's a function of like how much respect like, like money you put into taking care of public infrastructure and like public spaces there's no public spaces in here well there's like there's Central Park. There's a handful of other ones, but like, there's there's no real community in New York because there's not, literally no space for it. And um, 
like the community garden thing. Like there needs um, needs space for that for a community to happen. You can't make community happen. People have to like you can't force people to come together, but you can give them the space and the freedom to figure that out. And like the the community garden you're talking about, a great example of that when you just let people. Like, you know, you're growing vegetables. You're not making a nuclear reactor. You just let people grow some vegetables. And, you know, like cities have existed for thousands of years in like populations of like hundreds of thousands of people. And, you know, there was no shipping and food back then. So people grew their own food and they shared with each other and they didn't where they eat. So like it works. It's cool. And the greatest example of all that is Hawaii and other islander nations. Those people lived there for thousands of years. There was no getting away from each other. And mm-hmm. they lived in like, not like per- perfect harmony, but they, they got along with each other and their environment because if they didn't, they would die out. So it's feasible to have human society in a way that isn't like constantly full of strife and conflict. But this, what we're doing right now is not the way. Or not well, you, know, you know how you said, um, I don't know, remember which one of you said it, but Earlier, you were talking about um, the way the community is, that they would have to have, this was an economic thing, that if it was, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was like big and small, as far as it's not changing globally, it's changing locally. I think that's Uh, what you said. Think globally, act locally. Okay. So I feel like, for example, um, like I told you, I live in the Valley, but- we purchased, there's a place called Imperfect Foods and it's a, it's a farm. So, but the, but they sell things cheaper than I would get from the grocery store and they're a hell of a lot more fresh, but some of them are just with the word of imperfect, yeah, right? They're the, cheap. The weird looking. Right. So, um, I feel like I'm doing my part by, uh, buying from and that's what i meant by i know they're regulated but i'm buying it from they're like not maybe 10 15 miles from me right um if i wanted meat there's a place that i can order from that is probably 50 miles from me but they have a slaughterhouse right and that stuff comes to you where it's red you know like if you really wanted meat it's like really you could tell it's meat it's not um injected with nitrogen you know you know what i mean yeah yeah it's not um, like flabbing just not appetizing right but your but your your money is going in your own community yes right? that's a big part right so that's what i mean by like when i was saying like the little cities of or, or sections of them because it's like oh okay i i buy from imperfect foods so you're now my idea for like the, cause this, I was trying to relate this to the permaculture. My idea was that if you know that uh, each section needs each other, you're able, it's almost like you, like, like, like Malika, I understand when you said, oh, um, big business, you're going to end up, you know, it's a fight you can't win. But when you give them their own section and you say, okay, you're going to supply to this sect. You're going to supply to this sect. Then that means the local farmers don't have to stress because they're going to supply to the people they relate to most. 
the ones that are workers like them, and some that are below. Then you have the people that want to say, oh, I wouldn't shop at Food for Less. I only shop at, you know, this hoity-toity place, right? Well, that's where the, uh, like, the affluent people are. So you have those businesses over there. So everybody still gets a piece of their pie. It's, and, 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 and no one is saying you can't go visit the other place. It's just that it's just that you're able to say, hey, we're starting from the ground. And then if the middle class want this from the farm as well, there's a farm near them, too. It's just it's just a different level of farm. So you might have like caged animals where the lower class was, but you had free, you know, free reign where the middle and upper class are. And that's basically basically by space. You know, yeah. Um, but is that like is that I'm trying to understand the permaculture and people? Like, would that make sense? I think what you're describing is just like small communities of like people, and then they're connected to each other, but they don't rely on each other implicitly. And then you have localized production, so you have people relying on each other, and then they just hold each other accountable. Yeah. And that's how societies function. That's how community is created like community is a series of relationships and relying on each other for different things it's how that happens so yeah. like yeah i think what you're saying makes sense like you're not like, segregating well hmm? go, ahead, okay. no, go ahead go ahead i was gonna say like you're not segregating people no but you're also not making them you're not making people dependent on each other where it's not feasible for them to be dependent because like that's right. where we're at now like you know like you get like, like you get like, like have you ever seen that meme or that post? It's like this dude in England. He's got a, a can of pears, and it says like grown in Argentina and canned in Thailand. And he's like, "Bro, pears grow here. Right. Yeah, why are we why? doing this? Yeah, like why are we doing this? And like that, that like globalization is, it's good for things like technology. It's very bad for things like food. Like it makes sense for things like you know, like fucking computers, but." moving pairs like that across like across the planet to get back to a place where it grows is grossly ineffective mm -hmm. and um like what i always thought is that like cities should cities should be able to grow their own food mm -hmm. and themselves. you don't got to do everything yourself but like things like food you should be able to do on your own and that's going to vary from place to place like what you eat in missouri shouldn't be exactly the same as what you eat in LA because right. you live in the desert. And it doesn't mean you gotta have bad food. It just means you have something different. Correct. And like I could get into that I could get into that forever. Like there's a whole biome of delicious things you can grow in the desert in a reasonable amount of time. But like you can't one of those things is not gonna be apple trees. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? Like you're not gonna eat the same shit here that you do over there. And trying to do that is how we got these problems. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? if you think about this, um, I teach this in school. I tell the kids to show you how corrupt we are as a like as a world is if you were in Egypt, they grew. They were only able to grow certain things. That's how their pyramid of food became where, where we are. We had grain, right? And chickens and what have you. That's how they made the pyramid. They're not going to make the pyramid, oh, you should have fish because it's a lot more healthy than wheat. No, because there's more wheat here. So they're going to tell you this is what you need to eat when you really yeah, don't don't need it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So 
wherever you are, I see why they uh, tr transport things. But yeah, realistically, look, I don't need Florida oranges. I don't need stuff from Mexico when there's stuff right here. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. and, and if that was the case, you're cutting down on pollution because you don't need to be transporting things by truck all over the place. So like one one third of all food production on the planet goes bad because it just it spoils on the way to where you're selling to where it's going. Yeah, you could increase global food production by a third if you just did it locally. No yeah. technology, no, no crazy silver bullet. Just grow the shit where you're going to eat it. Yeah. And you have a third more food. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a crazy concept. I think the uh, the issue to get back to Mr. Todd's question um, mm -hmm. about like how to make something like that happen, right? With the, the localized, pocketed, uh, interdependent communities. Um, I think the key to that is one thing that we're kind of struggling with. At least I know that, I mean, based on T's story about his current job, um, I'm sure that he's seeing kind of what's happening as well. And it's ironic because we talk about the individualism of America. Um, but at the same time, um, when you talk to younger generations, uh, at least I, I've done a couple of talks to students and you ask them what they want to do, what they want to be with, with their lives. And, and they're all pretty similar. I mean, it's probably the same for the past as well. You know, firefighter, police officer, whatever. Now it's like they want to be YouTube uh, content creators, et cetera. Um, and there's there's room for, for education and all those things. But I think that in order for um, like for us to develop these communities, there have to be community experts. There have to be people who mm. understand what kind of plants will grow in the area that that understand the social dynamics between um, the the local racial communities. You know, like they're not always the same. You know, you come to Hawaii. You know, there's there's very few Hispanic people. You have to understand the the difference between the Japanese, Korean, and and Chinese, and and how they how they interact and and what what the what what those communities are going to do in, in a circumstance where they're dependent on each other. Uh, if you don't have people that understand that and are willing to share that information, and, and then the community is never going to be able to form. You know, how are you going to tell people, you, you ask people about pineapples in Hawaii, they think that pineapples are native here uh, mm -hmm. because they're so, they're pushed in the culture and, and, and TV and, and whatnot, but that's, that's not the case at all. Um, Aren't yours from Mexico? No, wait, uh, South of, south of the Amazon, the, the yeah. landscape. All south comes of from Brazil. Yeah, southern Brazil. Yeah. The um, and at what you were saying, like, kids want to be YouTubers because they watch YouTube all day. Mm -hmm. Children yeah. want to it be what easy. they see. It's what, yeah. no, it's not that it's easy. It's what they see. Like yeah. it's what they see all day. Like if you if you put kids around, like, I don't know, like like if you put them in a bike shop. They're gonna want to work on bikes because they they can, like, YouTube is powerful, but nothing on the internet can be as powerful as real life. Mm -hmm. But like it's like you said, Malika, like you need those community experts who like know how to do shit. Then those people need to then like interact with the kids and develop actual relationships with them. And then that person matters to that kid more than a screen, a face on a screen. But like yeah. it it goes all the way back to community. Yeah, we were talking about before you got uh got here. Um I was telling him about uh the episode we did mm -hmm. and how growing plants in outer space. Mm -hmm. And um so I thought uh 
for example, see, that's another thing I have an issue with. You have what we're trying to do here, but what's right outside of our planet floating around is space junk. Yeah, a whole minefield of trash out there. Right. And it's like, why isn't that jettisoned to burn off? Mm -hmm. You know, um, because everybody thinks there's going to be this infinite you know, oh, it's just going to float out. No, there's a dome. We're in a dome. There's nothing's leaving here. Mm -hmm. And, right? So that same way, we have to look at it like, if if we are willing to destroy what's on the right outside of us that can come back in, mm -hmm. it, it has to start from within. Like, each person has to be able to say, I can do this and I will do this. But I only see that happening when they say, we only have 300 days left. <laughs> unless we you know what i mean like unless we do this people mm -hmm. aren't going to band together because they don't take it seriously and i still blame that on media because it's the the cycle is like how you said the youtube it's still fed to you mm -hmm. you go to school you're teaching youtube you know uh yeah. you're 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 like i teach if i can't um relate to the kids or they don't understand me I put on something from YouTube, whether it's Khan Academy for math or whatever it is. So it's still being programmed, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the more technology-based we get, I think there's going to be less care for the planet. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's, uh, what are you going to say about that? Sorry. Oh, yes. No, it, it's interesting. Um, just the idea that uh, it's kind of hard to escape it's, what, it's a problem you notice with a lot of parents nowadays. Um, I don't know if you've seen, you know, young parents, but they struggle with, you know, the, the same thing that parents have always struggled with all throughout time, but now they have a, a tool that will almost instantly settle the kids, right? It's like, if, <laughs> if I have this iPad, it will reduce all of the chaos in my life. And, you know, parents are, are often pushed to the brink. Um, but in the past, we've relied on community, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm going to hand them off to, to grandma. And exactly yeah. Or I hand them off to uncle. Like, even when I go hang out with my, my nieces and nephews, like, I show up and now the parents can take a breather because they're running circles around me. And that that's kind of a, a role that we have in our, our communities. But not everybody has that luxury anymore. You know, that used to be the default. And now there's so many atomized people who are living in apartment complexes far away from any family member they know. They don't know their neighbors. And so who else can they rely upon except for the technology that gives them a break? And, uh, you know, we it might seem small, you know, when, when you multiply this uh, over millions of cases all, all across the planet, then you start to get this collective obsession with technology that is uh, unhealthy. Go ahead, Mr. T. Yeah, like that's, I grew up like that. Like my mom came here from Honduras, so like, isolated from family and like just you know raising two boys on her own it's just like like you know you like you look at a screaming kid and i always wonder like how did people survive in in like prehistoric times like if a baby <laughs> starts screaming at 3 a.m in the jungle or in the in on the savannah how yeah, did a hyena, <laughs> yeah or like how did a hyena not eat them like you know what i mean and like or like how did parents in prehistory not just strangle their children because they're annoying. Hold on. hold on a second. Hold on a second. I think you might have struck on something. 
you know, we, we, we talk about, I made jokes before about evolutionary history and, you know, Nietzsche has his own theory about, you know, humans becoming more and more, uh, as we, as we live together closer, we had to start kind of hiding how we felt, uh, which is how our conscious developed and, and intensified because you couldn't, you couldn't always be direct about it because now there's a hierarchy, you know, and if you get kicked out of the community, then you'll die you'll, because you can't exactly. live alone. So you, you, we became more neurotic as a defense mechanism of literally living amongst humans and more and more humans and more and more complex relationships. But one thing that might've driven us there, at least one element, one, one, you know, part of the equation was the fact that our children were screaming. Like you can't live in a small band, you know, and your kid, the kids are, are, are wailing and drawing predators to our encampment. So now we have to build walls. We have to, we have to sharpen up yeah. and to start a watch and have somebody, you know, out there, we got to use fire to, to keep everything, the animals away because, Yes, but that's why driver. No, but that that was my that's what I was getting is like the answer was community. Is that you is it and like I think that's why um people like there's people who are just like nocturnal, like my girlfriend. She is nocturnal. She is awake, her natural hours of awakeness are like one PM to like five AM. And the function of that brain of that circadian rhythm is that you had someone in the band or in the tribe up at all hours. The nocturnal people tended the fires. They 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 kept the dark at bay, quite literally, and 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 their simple presence and tending the fires kept the predators at bay. So when the kids start wailing at 3 a.m., that's why they didn't get eaten, because you weren't alone. And like community is meant like that that's why like that's why people struggle with single parents because that's not how nature works you know who single parents in nature bears mountain lions <laughs> we're not bears or mountain lions we're not meant to exist alone or in groups of like two or three we're meant to live in communities that's how shit works even the amish when they build a house there's like 20 of them building the house at once the idea that one man can build a house is is a pipe dream it's an anomaly like everything we do have done through all of human history up until like world war ii has been communal and like individualism is great and it's undoubtedly brought all kinds of great things but we've lost sight of just how like important community is because at the end of the day we're a social species we're supposed yeah. to be together this idea that like yeah, anyway sorry no it's okay I, I was i was gonna say i have a i have a thought i still think that I agree with you guys, but I still think that caves is which why they went in the caves and fire was oh, yeah. how, how they dealt with it. But I, yeah. I, I do also believe that how many kids, um, I think that's why you had such a small population because how many kids were born and then their necks were broken because it took them a few hundred times to see, oh, when we let the kid's head go, they stopped moving, you know? Um, they had to tell the next person, um, and that's their community, like, oh, hold here. And then some of it is instinctual. You know, they know they have to breastfeed or, um, you know what I mean? Uh, the, the hunter-gatherer. But uh, I'm sure that there was plenty of stories where Johnny walked into the fire and became, you know, fricassee, <laughs> you know. Um, very little. Human civilization that hu- that our entire race was created by pyromaniacs. Because like, because <laughs> like, imagine 
you're a cave person, you live in the woods, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Fire is the most powerful force in, in nature. It, it just burns everything. Mm -hmm. Who was fucking around with fire? Who was the first monkey to be like, hey, yo, this shit is cool. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, what are you doing? You're going to kill us all. And he's like, no, but it's so cool. And just like, Mm -hmm. The first ones who figured out how to work fire were pyromaniacs. There's no other yeah. explanation for it. They had, yeah. no other... had an inner, they had an irrational love for it, and I think that's another thing. Uh, when you look back at history, um, that there's a story I can't remember what it's called or what the name of it is, but it basically talks about the insanity of of humans. Right, humanity itself is uh, a little bit a little bit twisted, um, and that allows us to walk into uh, situations that other creatures would never go into um, because we believe in either a higher power or life after death or uh, things that are larger than ourselves, like community. Like the idea of community, it's a concept, right? Um, it, it's a useful concept. Um, and uh, it, it inarguably, or arguably, it's, a, it's probably the fundamental concept for our species because like you said we're not bears we're not cougars we're not we don't have claws all we really have is our own wits and our ability to band together to uh create magic you know and i think that that's a beautiful thing i think that conversations like this like coming together uh as experts as as people who are curious as uh as people who want better for the world and discussing these things is how it starts. And then, you know, like Mr. T said, we go out there and we do what we can locally. And uh, eventually things will spiral upwards into a, a more beautiful world. And I think that all of the, the, the bad that we've seen, you know, the, the poisoning of the soil. Um, I took over uh, Punchbowl Memorial a little while ago, uh, last year as uh, the horticulturist. And um, I went to the, the people who are in charge of it and I told them that uh, I didn't want to do it the old way because um, I saw, as the gardener, I saw what happens when you just dump fertilizer, just pounds and pounds and pounds of fertilizer into the ground. Um, just burns you're, it. You're poisoning the world. You're poisoning the earth. Um, eventually, nothing will grow. And the only way for things to grow now is that you just dump more fertilizer. And, of course, out of expedience, they've sacrificed the, the microbiome of the whole crater. And uh, I told him that if I was going to be in charge, that I didn't want to run it that way. Um, we've got an agricultural scientist working with us to uh, slowly restore the soil a piece by piece. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're taking all different kinds of chemicals. We're taking phosphorus. We're taking biochar. Um, we're using foliar application for fertilizer on, on the leaves. We're using algae. We're using all these different things that are, uh, that are here. They're grown here to try and, and restore the soil, the life of the soil. Um, and we've done it so far in, in a couple of the areas up at the, at the memorial. And it can be done. And one thing that I, I told uh, you know the customer is that it's, it's more of a, it, a, a victory to do it this way, um, not just for, for us um, individually, but for our species to, to, to look for a better way to do it, to, to try and return to a harmony with nature. Um, and they're on board, you know, we, we have the money, we have the time. I think there's no excuse to not, to not try. Um, so, you know, that whole, we'll, we literally sit atop the city 
I don't know if you've ever been to Hawaii, but Punchbowl is above. Yeah. Punchbowl. And M- my wife's that, from there. Yeah, it, it's it's a beautiful place. And I think that using this place as an example of what can be done in, in something that's been ruined um, by by negligence and and uh, a long, long history of of expedience. If we can reverse that process, uh, it'll serve serve as an example and a, a, almost a literal uh, city on the hill. Go ahead. The, uh, and the other thing too is like when you do things like that, like you're leaving something behind for future generations. Like when you restore an environment like that, it's like, well, like this will be here when you're gone. Like once, like there's most environments have like a threshold. Where like it's a lot of work to get it working right, and but once it's working right, the amount of work drops off. Exactly. And uh, I was thinking about explaining some of the things that Malachi's talking about. And um, the soil is alive, and we all know that. But basically, there's um, there's a quote from a Tool song that I really like, which is "Life feeds on life." Mm-hmm. And so, like, in order to grow to bring life back to the soil, you must put life into the soil. Into soil, yeah. Do that with making compost and. Composting does not have to be rocket science. I created gallons of compost on a third-story balcony, using nothing but Amazon boxes and leftover food that went bad in my fridge. That's literally all you need. Like the short version is, one part food, like leftover food, three parts shredded cardboard. And when you start out, you get a big old handful of the of the blackest, most good-smelling soil you can find, and you mix it all in there. And you mix all that up and then you put it somewhere outside. It must be, nothing smells as bad outside as it does inside. When shit goes bad in your fridge, it stinks because it's in a little enclosed bubble. When you put that stuff outside under some dirt, it goes away. Like if you put your face in it, it's going to stink. But like, I had this thing 10 feet from my bed in Hawaii. No one even knew it was there. I'd have people over. They didn't even know it was there because like it doesn't smell unless you put your face into it. And once it's going, you can compost anything. I composted Thanksgiving turkeys in a in a in a in a in a thirty gallon plastic tote container on a concrete balcony. Within what four about months, maggots? huh? They're what gonna about be there. Maggots? Oh yeah, they're there. You don't gotta look at them. You put a lid on that thing, bro. Don't <laughs> look at them. Like it's fine. And like the flies don't hang out. They lay their eggs and they leave. And that's it. Again, this is why it's outside. Like it has to be outside so you don't deal with that shit. Like the, the, they come and they go and that's it, dude. You don't gotta look at them all day. And like with gross stuff, you bury it. You bury it at least like six inches down so you don't have to smell it. The bugs can smell it and they come and they lay their eggs and they burrow down there and they deal with it and they go on with their day and you don't gotta look at it or smell it. The only thing I couldn't figure out to compost well was cooking oil and milk. Like, but every I composted yogurt, I composted meat, I composted entire fish that my girlfriend caught in the ocean that went bad in the fridge, so I just put them in the ground. Like, I composted everything, and it all turned into compost. And the and what I use because like um the short another short version thing is there's there's green material there's and brown material. So green materials are high in nitrogen, which is like leftover food, anything green. Brown materials is wood cardboard because cardboard comes from wood so or wood chips you want you need a lot more brown than green because you need a lot of carbon to break down nitrogen so that's why i said like three parts shredded cardboard one part leftover food like it doesn't have to be exact but so you combine these things 
and um, they slowly they break down, and then you get then you get compost, and it's it's really that simple. And you're making soil, and if it's in contact with the ground, like if you can do this in a hole in the ground, you get worms and all kinds of local critters all up in there that make it happen even faster. Um, this one's a little gross, but like I got we moved here, and um, I didn't want to bag up my dog's poop and throw it away. It just seems stupid. I'm like, how can this not break down in my yard? Like you tell me dog shit is radioactive and just never breaks down. I got to throw the, like what the hell was happening before we had a landfill? And so I dug a hole about three feet deep and about two feet wide. I started putting the dog poop in there all summer long. It never filled up. The bugs ate it. It just went away. And it mm -hmm. didn't stink unless you were like over it because mm -hmm. it's in the air. So it doesn't stink. Mm -hmm. But like this is literal dog shit. I got a 75 pound dog and a 35 pound dog. You know what I mean? They shit every day. It goes in the hole, it goes away. That's it. That's it. And like, so the, the point is that like making compost and making soil, it can be rocket science. You can make it, you can, you can make it as complicated as you want, but it does not have to be that hard at all. And then so, you have great stuff to grow stuff in. Go on, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys two questions that, that you can educate me the 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 masses of of what uh permaculture how it would work in your opinions in the sense of you're in Hawaii you're in Missouri and uh I'm in the city right so by your classification of it uh the two questions I have is one I agree with you guys when it comes to you could try to how you were saying well I, my idea of the way the cities could be divided that well that there's um a, a way I, I like i said i'm trying to i don't know how you quote 100 percent, but the way things are just done um i feel like there is a biosphere there's a there is a cycle of life but the more we interject with pollution with the plastics with um uh runoff uh and just people that just don't care it throws off that ecosystem obviously that's why we have the issue in the ocean right there's more plastic than than i don't know how they can count this but more plastic than uh fish well if you if you have that then to me things are not working the way they're supposed to work anymore therefore the how when i said like the the localization of it instead of getting people that are in alaska bringing us fish you got people all around the, the, the pacific that can just you know fish and give it to your local people so um i don't see alternatives to be a negative because i think the the the, the cycle of life is already thrown off so i don't that's so that's one thing with I want to ask you. And then the other one was, like I said, I'm, I'm more city based. You're more, uh, uh, rural based and you're in like tropic base. Right. So how do you do your perma? How does that apply and connect us? Um, I guess I'll start since, um, uh, she's taking a walk. <laughs> we have, uh, <laughs> I, I always try my best to, uh, I stay away from teleology, which is this idea that there's some kind of grand, plan grand mission you know um i i don't know 
I don't think I'm smart enough to know how things should go. I have my ideas about what I think would be good. And I try and work towards that good because I think that that's the only way to be moral, right? Is to have an idea of the good and to kind of pursue it uh, with the, a little bit of hesitance to know that I, I'm not exactly sure what the right answer is. Um, one good answer that I, I really resonate with, that once again, I'm bringing up Nietzsche, is he, he has this idea that there's nothing that any human can do that can harm humanity, that we're all, all every compulsion in your body is a part of a larger system that you might not be able to understand or comprehend, but you have a role in this. And that's why you were born a human being and everything you do is for the good of humanity. Whatever that good is, it's 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 impossible for us to fully encapsulate in, in, our, in our minds because humanity is bigger than just one, one human mind. So it's impossible. It's made up of all of our minds and all of those minds interacting together is what creates humanity. And so, um, I understand and I, I, I know that we've been driven, you know, due to certain religions and certain circumstances throughout history to be destructive in, in a lot of ways. But I also truly believe that there's a homeostasis that comes with this whole thing that the impulses rise and fall uh, based on the, the response to the, the larger ecosystem. Like the very fact that people like like us are here having these conversations is because there's an impulse in humanity also to try and protect the environment. And these are forces that are pushing and pulling. They're not always equal. So at times it might be dramatically, you know, expediency is, is important. We have all this money, all this resource. We have to save the world. We have to stop the Nazis. We have to feed as many people as possible. And then slowly we start to realize, oh, that, that strategy was not was not right and more and more people stand up and say no we have to adjust we have to move forward we have to we have to be more meticulous we have to be more community based etc cetera, etc cetera. and all these things are going to fluctuate and in the end if you just look at the numbers like the size of human population the last you know 10,000 years has been incredible growth and i, I think that all of these impulses have existed together um, always since the beginning of, of, of human interaction. And I think that that's, that dynamic will only lead to a higher and higher ascension of our species. That's that, that, that's just something that, that goes back to the conversation we've had before about my cosmic optimism. Um, so I, I genuinely do believe that, that um, eventually there, there's no reason to not be optimistic if you just look at our track record. Okay. I think that we're, we're upwards and outwards. Um, yeah. When it comes to Hawaii specifically, um, one of the biggest problems we have is is uh, what, what stops us from from being what we could be is the uh, conflict of interests of the people who are invested in this island. Um, there are the natives who clearly, you know, um, the land is a part of them. Um, there are people who are, are buying properties here. There's the military. There's uh, foreign countries that come here to buy property um, to give advantages to their own people. I mean, Hawaii is it's truly a jewel. Uh, I mean, there there are plenty of beautiful places in the world, but Hawaii is very special. And uh, because of that, it's like a beautiful woman. And there are so many people who want yeah, to trying people. to get in there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that that leads to difficulties um, in in making this place what it could be. 
for the people who live here. Um, and that that's never going to go away. Um, not not to cut you off, but I I did a whole episode on if you're if you're if a country were not allowed to go to to purchase land, they shouldn't be able to purchase it here. I, I agree. I, I I think that that sets a good precedent because there are places that are. Uh, our relationship is one-sided, um, mm -hmm. but that that's that's global politics. I, I definitely I'll watch that episode uh, after this if you link it to me. But uh, I think that um, there is a movement here to uh, to improve things and bring things back, um, to take things step by step, to to plant more natives, to to combat the the invasives and and uh, for long-term soil health and. All, all, all the good things that come with with permaculture, the the philosophy, um, is developing, it's growing in popularity, and at least on the surface level, I mean, even the when the contract that I that I got recently, um, one of the one of the key principles was that we had a holistic horticultural program um, that was uh, sensitive to cultural and environmental ecosystem issues. Right, it, it was written in, in the contract. Um, that these things had to be considered. Um, and I think that that is a good sign of the future. Of course, some, sometimes it's just going to be lip service, but, um, you know, what can we do about that? All we can do is, like like T says, is um, to think globally and act locally. And uh, I think that that's happening here um, uh, more and more every day. Go ahead. So um, what it would look like in Hawaii versus L.A. versus here is... Um, for example, in Hawaii, grow less. You would have people like you'd grow. You, you wouldn't import as many apples because apples don't grow there very well. And you would eat more local food, like like um like breadfruit is really good. Well, that's a bad example. You could replace app like bananas. Like you could have more bananas instead of apples because bananas grow very well. Um, I did a, a whole thing about um meat in Hawaii. There's um the Axis deer is a deer from Asia that was gifted to King Kamehameha back in like the 1800s earlier maybe, and Kamehameha um turned them loose on Maui and I think Big Maui and he said look at these deer, now my people could have these deer to eat whenever mm -hmm. like this is good meat this is good eating, and you fast forward to now, and because of laws meant to protect um large native mammals here in North America. That are now being imposed in Hawaii, you can't eat them. And so now there's literally that hundreds of thousands of deer on Maui and I think two other islands that um they they dis like to say they destroy ecosystems and understanding. They 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 nude landscapes like locusts, like they eat everything to the ground and then they die in droves. They die to the point that their bodies clog the waterways and poison the water. And these are edible deer. They're delicious. Like, and it's one of the it's one of it's the only example I can think of where if Hawaiians could eat the deer, like if there was the if the if the social uh, policy and economic restraints were removed, like the environment would be better, the people would be happier. And everyone will make more money. That never happens. There's never a situation which all three of those happen at once. And these deer are a great example of it. They're delicious. They're not native, so you can eat as many as you want, and the environment will only get happier about it. And it's local. 
So like that, like I would imagine in Hawaii, you would stop importing beef and you just start eating the deer that are already here. Oh, there you it's But that's to say people want to eat it. Yeah, no, they do though. It's the the short version is that the meat has to be humanely killed and then processed in a FDA approved way. And there's about eight FDA approved slaughterhouses for the deer on Maui. And that is the bottleneck, is that it is the in order to meet regulations that you need these facilities. The facilities when adjusted for inflation, and when I say adjusted for inflation, I took how much they cost in Nevada. Looked at the cost of living in Nevada compared to Hawaii, which is about half, so I just doubled it. About half a million dollars. So you need about half a million dollars per slaughterhouse to make more of them. If you have more of them, people can then bring their kills to the thing, to the slaughterhouse, and have them processed. Now you can sell them. And when you can sell it, that's when it really comes to life. There's only eight of them right now. But that's the bottleneck to make that more uh, accessible. And so that's what it looked like in Hawaii. In um in LA, you would grow more things that are native to the desert. Like you know mesquite trees with the mm -hmm. big old thorns? You know the seed yeah. pods they drop? Yeah. You know those are edible? You no. can grind those things into flour. You just grind them up and you have flour. You don't gotta roast them. It's literally that tree rains food. <laughs> and everyone just kind of forgot that this thing, this tree that's from the area literally rains flour and you can just eat it um prickly pear uh you know you can make candy out of the the, the fruit they're delicious they taste like pears and um those are those plants are fucking indestructible they're an invasive species in, in australia they had a whole thing where they like basically went to war with this thing because it won't die like there's um the manzanita you know little manzanita bushes all over the place the um Man, manzanita, is that how you say it in English? Yes, It'll yes, yes. Manzanita is the Spanish word for little apple. Those berries yes. are edible. Make they, have a, they have a drink out here. Yeah, exactly that. That's, 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 you need more of that shit right there. Yeah, um, I, I went to high school in the desert, so I yeah. spent three years out there. And, you know, uh, when you go hiking, there's actually these trees that have these little white flowers. And if you wet them, it turns into soap. I can't remember the name of them, but uh, probably called soap berry or something. But yeah, exactly like that. You yeah. use the local shit to make yeah. shit for the locals. Like it just yeah. kind of makes sense. Um, what else? Is there? There's so many. There's um, ironwood is good timber for that kind of thing. Saguaros. Well, saguaros aren't native to your part of California. You're in the Chaparral region, more fire country. But you see where I'm going with this, and mm -hmm. then if you're gonna bring in, if you're gonna, if you're gonna for meat, you use breeds of animal that are better adapted to the desert. I mean, shit, I'd fucking say bring camels. You know, yeah. if I if I could wave my magic wand, do whatever I want, and be like, eat the camels. <laughs> camels are delicious. I think. Or, I or, or hy hyenas. No. Yeah, you, what? Oh no, you don't want to eat hyenas. You do uh, not want to fuck with a hyena. Them things are <laughs> whatever, I'm not running what, a hyena farm. That's for sure. Really? Yeah. What about like a coyote? You can eat them. They're just—it's not a lot of meat, and they don't reproduce as fat. Predators and omnivores don't taste as good as herbivores. Plant eating they animals reproduce very slowly. We wouldn't be able to maintain a population. That's and that's kind of the. the They're also way too smart. Is uh, these are all good and well, but do they scale? Does it scale? Yeah. You know, like we'll we'll if we start eating the prickly pear out the valley, 
won't there won't there won't be any prickly pear left or are we no i don't i i really no i don't think you'll have that problem prickly pear grows stupid fast it grows everywhere you can also eat the pads that's nopales that's what they like the yeah the aztecs created not even that not just the aztecs but like mesoamerican people created like hundreds of varieties of nopales because it was that scalable like there it was one of the base foods of their like culture because it, it grow it doesn't die it just keeps growing and grows very little water you can literally just grab a pad and throw it on the ground like literally just throw it on the ground and it will grow a new plant. You don't even got to bury it. It helps, but you don't even got to bury it. Like, so it is absolutely scalable, especially in the desert. The The mesquite trees are native, so they're just going to grow there naturally. So like that's also, and it's a seed, it's a fruit. So that is absolutely scalable. The coyotes aren't really scalable because they're too smart and you're not going to get a lot of meat. Camels, probably, I don't know, like the, the people in the Middle East have been, Raising them for thousands of years, I'm assuming it's scalable. If it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. The, um, or goats. There's plenty of desert goats that do would do really well out there. Um, but get away from cattle because cattle need a lot of water and a lot of grass to eat, specifically grass. You want things that can eat what where you're living. Yeah. So you don't gotta like reinvent the wheel every time. And you know what I'm saying? Like so that that's what it looked like in California. Probably some seafood too. You got the ocean right there. Kelp yeah. farming. Yeah, hold up. You gotta hear about this kelp farming thing. Oh, I've heard a lot. So uh, yeah, dude. So kelp, kelp, you know, kelp grows off the coast of of, of um LA. Yeah, we kelp have too is, much. Yeah, kelp is edible, dude. That's mm -hmm. nori. You can eat that shit right out of the water. Yeah, my, my and, wife eats it all the time. Dude, yes. And here's the crazy thing, too. You got a crop, it needs no land, no water. <laughs> you just you like when you farm it, you literally just put a rope out there on like buoys. Then you put a little seed kelp on it, and then it just grows. There's nothing. It also absorbs. You know those those um fertilizer pollutants we were talking about that run off into the rivers and into the ocean. They absorb those because it's a plant, so it cleans the water. It requires no inputs, and it, you can eat it right out of the ocean. Like and, and then when you dry it, you get fresh water out of it. Like this, like yeah, why, true. like why don't we do this? You know what I'm saying? And again, it's native to California, so like you could literally just set the shit up and it fucking does its own thing. And environmentally friendly, it checks all the boxes and it's delicious. I yeah. love, I love seaweed. Anyway, but like so that that's what it'll look like in fucking California. Like you see what I'm saying? Like all this shit is good. It's just not what you're used to. Right. And um, here in Missouri, it'd be like. A lot of like standard shit because this is where the, the american diet kind of came from here you can grow apple trees and cattle i'd rather do buffalo because buffalo have different like grazing habits and they're, they're a little better for the land but they're kind well, of like bison yeah bison is fucking delicious bison tastes like cow so I, like, I i like bison it's like cow better now you can't farm them joints so like them you can't they're it's not they're, yeah, it's also like twice the size of a fucking cow. It's twice the size. <laughs> bad at it. They're not even mean, bro. Just like if you try to get them, in the, they have like mega claustrophobia because they're from the plains. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They ain't never seen a wall. So you put them in a box and they start getting screwy. And when this thing is twice the size of a cow, you don't want it getting screwy because it's going to kill you. So it's tricky. But like you can, but like here, here in the Midwest, this is where the normal American diet makes sense. Because the shit grows here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
and even then it's so you'd have some variation because there's also like some local stuff here that's super edible that'd be better grown but for the most part like the stuff you're used to eating would mm -hmm. is from here so you should eat it here yeah that's interesting yeah, you man. mentioned uh you said it's not what you're used to and i think that's kind of what the the crux of the problem is on an individual level is that you know, yeah, people are spoiled of culture like everybody eats burgers everybody eats hot dogs we the 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 major companies that control the media you know when i say that i mean that they're, they're the people who have the most money to spend on advertising and uh they sell you know monolithic products you yeah, know so they want as many eyeballs as possible they have the most eyeballs and so they're selling everybody the same stuff and the uh, yeah. The localized diet, you know, you it would be easy to convince me to eat these delicious local foods, right? But it's like if you grow up, you you you've traveled with someone where you get to Europe, and the first thing they want to do is go to McDonald's. Yeah, know? not me. It's enraging, bro. Fuck that. It's, it's, it's infuriating. Everybody hates that guy, but it's it, it's because of the way that we're kind of trained. Like there are a lot of people this are the program. Exactly. They're literally programmed and, and it, that's intentional in order to sell to people who are selling these, um, who are buying these products. Uh, yeah. So man. that's going to be the hard part, right? It's, it's not just the capability. Like, like you said, T, a lot of this stuff is, it's like, why aren't we doing this? And it's not because it wouldn't work. It's because how are you going to convince people who are used to eating and living a certain way to, to change that? Especially when things like climate change and and all and all these other things seem esoteric, they seem far away, you know. Um. Well, the nice thing about climate change is it's not so esoteric anymore. <laughs> like it's a, like I don't know about y'all, but like I've been here in Missouri, it's like winter here is light. I'm like this is like Houston winter. This ain't shit to be honest, you know. So something's wrong. But um, yes, exactly. So it's becoming much more obvious. And um, the short answer to answer your question is um, slowly. The answer is you got to do it slowly because. Food is very personal, obviously, so it's yeah. hard to change it. But also, bro, lobster used to be prison food. Y'all know that? Yeah. They used to feed lobsters to prisoners in New England because it's like it's a giant fucking sea bug. Nobody wanted to eat that shit. They'd literally give lobster prisoners in like Massachusetts and up there. Like yeah. people wouldn't fucking touch it. And the way you make lobster look edible is you take off all the legs. When you see it on screen, all you ever see is the tail, the edible yeah. part you eat. You don't see the his. It's fucking horrifying face <laughs> yeah you don't see it's fucking it's got like 20 little fucking feelers for a mouth it's a nightmare it's, it's like a video game future but it's delicious That's and funny. so like yeah or like sushi dude in our own lifetime when i was a kid like no one ate sushi sushi sounded disgusting like you eating raw fish what's wrong with people yeah and yeah, like now sushi's, yeah now sushi's huge i love sushi I That's will have my sushi. wife every yeah, day I'll, dude i'll have a i've had sushi for breakfast several times i fucking love it mm -hmm. the um but yeah, so the answer to your question is it's slowly and um, you got to do it just at a local level, bro. You got to bring people food and be like, try this. It's good. I'm not going to charge you for it. Just fucking try some. And then when they realize it's good, then yeah, they... Right. Yeah, exactly. Also, so, bugs. Um, bugs are really good. Protein. Nobody wants to eat. There's a thing, um, feed to like meat ratio, which is like how much feed you got to give an animal to get back like a pound of food for cattle it's like 17 or 20 pounds of feed for one pound of beef it's something crazy like that for fish it's like 10 to 1 with bugs it's like 2 to 1 
So like mm-hmm. insects make great feed. But here's the, but here's the thing is like I'm not saying you feed up you serve someone up a, pl- a platter of roaches. Like you're not like no, no we're not doing that. I'm talking like the the big thing that we go for is animal feed. Like, like crickets. Can, yeah, dude. Like you can grow bugs and then use them as like fish feed for like salmon. Because like the big problem with like like um farming like fish, fish farming, is you know what you know what fish eat? They eat smaller fishes. Yeah, so yeah. like yeah. so like you got you still got you still got to fish like thousands of pounds of fish out of the ocean to feed the salmon. So it defeats the purpose, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you know what they also love? They love bugs. Yeah. So like you get like um black soldier flies are a species of insect that can eat damn near anything organic and turn it into edible protein. Mm-hmm. And like actually they're the things in my backyard eating the dog shit. Mm-hmm. They will literally oh, okay. they they literally they they're maggots, they're big, they're horrifying to look at, mm-hmm. but they're they make good protein and like even I would kind of be fishy about eating one of those things. I'm obviously not eating if you're feeding a dog shit. But you know who don't care about that? Fish. Pigs. Pigs pigs don't give a shit. Pigs eat anything. Exactly. So you grow these these maggots as protein, you dry them, turn them into a powder, and you mix them in a fish feed or pig feed. And in that way you close the loop. Now you found a way this magical, disgusting little bug has made it possible to turn any kind of like turn garbage into animal feed and now we've closed the loop and now you can like grow now you can have your pork and not it's not damaging the environment anymore then you can take that that fit that pig shit and feed it right back to these fucking flies and get more protein <laughs> like i'm i swear to god yeah and the craziest thing is like when they when they shed their skin the last time they they leave like when they're ready to pupate and turn into flies they leave the food source to go bury themselves in the earth and then they shed their skin so like they literally when they leave the food source they shed all the all the part of them that was touching it. So when they when they they come out clean, like through their own natural processes they come out free of the animal shit. So like you can then literally just dry them and make them an animal feed. Like it's 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 like magic, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's what well, I mean by like bugs are an underutilized source of food, not just for people to eat, but as animal feed for the things we want to eat. Now flies only live two two days, right? Depends on the fly. These guys live like a week or two. And when they're the adults don't have mouths. They exist only to find something to mate and then to lay eggs in something rotting. That is their only purpose. They don't even have a mouth. So those are the vultures. Kind of, yeah, like bug vultures. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you guys have anything you want to close with? Uh, It was a good conversation. I think I'd like to end with is uh, we're not doomed. Like there's there's solutions to all of our problems, and I know it's scary. It's like the the news is a new thing. Never in human history have you been able to see everything happening everywhere all at once like this. So it's not good for your brain. No part of your brain was meant for this level of exposure. Mm-hmm. You can watch anything happen anywhere at any time. That ain't natural. You're burned. Like we, I saw this thing that was like, um, hey, I'm sorry I didn't respond to your text. I was. I was busy watching the world burn with a brain designed to eat berries in a cave. And like, so like it's, uh, there, there's solutions to all the shit and we're going to be okay, but it's going to be rough. Yeah. I still think mother nature takes care of things. And if we, if we uh, destroy it enough, it'll destroy us. And, and I, and I talk to this, I talk to my kids too, because my kids are 12 and nine. 
But I tell them, you know, if you get rid of uh, us, the bees and the ants and what have you will thrive. And they don't overpopulate. If you have, if you get rid of the bees and the ants, we die. It, you know, and I, and I explained to them, like, if we pollute and change the molecular structure of the air, <laughs> like percentage-wise, we die. But once we die, everything's going to go right back to where it was. And even the concrete will crumble back into dust. And once that happens, like the earth itself, that, that, that concrete that we covered the, the dirt with will restore itself and trees will, you know, restore and come back. And, and, and the earth, that's what I mean by like mother nature. I think we'll, we'll make ourselves extinct and, and whatever else comes up after us, hopefully is, uh, less selfish. <laughs> like we can't be the most intelligent thing out there and then we're just just this dumb you know <laughs> like like i just think there's too much of uh uh too much of um uh ego yes at the moment there is um, i draw something in the chat real quick yeah i just um, i'm trying to pull it up no you don't got it's like a 20 minute video but it's, it's oh okay so it's about this thing the short version is um they uh this, this group turned a a barren moonscape in Saudi Arabia into a dry land savanna without heavy machinery. It took about 10 years, took a minute, but they using like regenerative ag principles and permaculture shit. They um went like when you see the start of the video, like it literally is like a moon. There is nothing. There's not even dirt. It's just rocks. Like it's a moonscape and they turn that into a grassland. Mm. And like in a place that gets two inches of rain a year. And like when they're interviewing the locals, they're like, yeah, there used to be trees here. There was trees here. And then everything, and then a bunch of political things happened and all went to hell. But the point is that it can be done. And it's, a, you get kind of emotionally at the end of it because it's like, you know, they look at this moonscape and then by the end of it, it's green. And like the birds come back, bees come back, animals come back. Like the, the land can be fixed and you don't need like space age technology to do it. Right. And, uh, so yeah, it's called the Albaida Project, and I gave you a link because that's hard as hell. Yeah, I, I pulled it up already. Thank yeah. you. But it's, it's, it's inspirational, man. And I, you ever feel like we're all going to starve and burn and die? Just watch that and be like, if, if they can make shit grow with two inches of rain in Saudi Arabia, in, in like death itself, then right. I think we'll be okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate you guys coming on and 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 the knowledge and I mean, honestly, like, uh, to me, this is just a great example of people. I know, like, you two know each other. Uh, Malama and I know each other, but we don't know each other as a group. And and it shows, like, you can just have the, you know, ideas. Um, I call ideas like the 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 seasonings of the food, <laughs> you know. Um, and I just, I think it's a beautiful thing. So I really, I really appreciate it. You know, your time and uh, your knowledge, because I'm learning, you know, as well. And I can, I can spread this through, like I said, I see kids all day long. So yeah, do that, man. You know, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what it, what, that's what it's about. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. We should do it again. I'm game. Yeah. If you ever guys want to ever do it again, let me know.
This is Mr. Todd, Stories and Solutions, and uh, thanks again for listening, and for the rest of y'all, be easy.